Welcome to the Particle Podcast, where we talk about science and the people who just love it. My name is Rose, and one of my favourite characters of all time is Mark Watney, because he's a botanist and an astronaut. Someone who definitely agrees with me is Ravi Patel. Ravi is an eager geologist who's moved on to studying Mars rocks. He stopped by to chat about meteorites, Mars volcanoes, and most importantly, mental health. Welcome to the podcast, Ravi. Hi, it's good to be here. To start off with, what do you actually do? So I'm a PhD student at Curtin and um, I'm in the planetary science department and I'm studying rocks from Mars, so in the form of meteorites. So these are rocks that were formed on Mars and in the past millions to hundreds of millions of years ago, big asteroids would have collided on the surface of Mars and these asteroids were large enough to eject rocks from the surface of Mars into the atmosphere. And then some of these rocks floated in space, made their way to Earth, fell onto Earth and then found by scientists and determined that, yeah, they're from Mars. That is so cool. This whole time before this interview, the rest of the Particle team were talking about it. We're like, do you think there's pieces of Mars on Earth? Yeah. So, yeah, there are. That's so <laughs> great. Meteorites. How did they, yeah, how'd they get here? So, as I said, through um, asteroid collisions on Mars. Um, but we, we know they're from Mars because um, studying the composition of these rocks, they're the Martian rocks are similar to sort of um, volcanic rocks we see in volcanoes on Earth, but they're slightly different in terms of their chemical composition. So we can study their isotopic composition, specifically their oxygen isotopes, and we can correlate that to what's been studied by the rovers and the and the uh, orbiters that are surrounding Mars. Yep. And um, so that's one of the ways we've determined that these rocks are from Mars. Also, there are trapped gases within these rocks. Um and these trapped gases are trapped really small amounts within the minerals of, uh, or usually glassy mi- minerals or glassy material. And um, the composition of these gases seems to correlate with the composition of the Martian atmosphere. Whoa. So, it's, so yeah, we, we are fairly confident that they are from Mars. Yeah. That's crazy. But when they were first found, how did scientists know to even look at them in the first place? Because I don't often look at a rock and think, oh, I wonder if that's from Mars. Yeah, so when meteorites come through our atmosphere, when they're going through the atmosphere, there's so much friction from, from the from the air, which causes what we call a fusion crust around the rock. And what that is is, a, is a, just the whole surface of the rocks being melted and burnt. So so meteorites, if you find them on the ground, they tend to be, if they're at least fresh, black, like oh. very black. So it is difficult to determine whether you're seeing a rock and whether it's a meteorite or not most of the case most of the time it won't be a meteorite be a meteor wrong is what they call it (laughs) but um it's quite good (laughs) but there are team there are people out there whether they're just um into private individuals that are searching for meteorites but then there is um teams like for example curtain have their own team called the desert fireball network oh that's sick where they've got cameras set up uh throughout the nullarbor and and throughout the middle of australia and other, other countries also and um, it's tracking the night sky. So if a fireball comes, uh, a meteorite comes flying in the atmosphere, we call it a fireball, they can track its trajectory and triangulate where roughly it may have landed. And then we have a team who's actually out there at the moment in the Nullarbor, and they found a meteorite um, not too long ago. And yeah, they just go out searching for it. 
That's really cool. Yeah. Is it kind of like a bit of a subgenre of people who like to go out and hunt for them? Yeah, yeah. So like, I haven't been on one of these trips yet, but um, I'm definitely keen to go on them. So there are a few different teams out there in the world that go search for meteorites, and one major place they go searching is Antarctica. So because of the the well, pretty much Antarctica is all ice, so it's so white. Yeah. Where a meteorite would be really black, the contrast between okay. the ice and the meteorite, it's uh, much easier to see. Um, and because Antarctica is cold, um, it's a good place for meteorites to fall and stay fresh because yeah. it's so cold. There's not too much weathering going on to affect the rocks. So, so yeah. So, like, my supervisor, for example, spent, I think, three or so months wow. um, in Antarctica on one of these um, these searching missions to find meteorites in a, in a career. So that's really cool. Why would you look in the middle of Australia specifically? Just because there's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> there, it's, it's pretty flat. There's not really... There's no uh, well, there's no cities in the middle of Australia, so the cameras, you know, it's got a really good sh- shot of the night sky because there's no um, light pollution, mm-hmm. and yeah, just it, there's not that much going on over there. So, yeah, it's a good place to search. But but at the end of the day, most meteorites that do fall on Earth will fall into the oceans because seventy percent plus of Earth is covered in water. So we're never going to be able to uncover those meteorites. That is just the coolest thing to study. But you obviously don't get out of high school and get to just go study Mars rocks, you know? Like, yeah, how no. did you end up in this niche study area? So, for me, that's quite a – it's it's a bit of a comp, – like a – it's been a complicated time to get here. Um, and as ever since I was a kid, I was, I was – like, when I was six or seven years old, I was – fascinated with space anything to do with it it was just I used to read books and and watch documentaries and just I just always thought about it and I loved it but it was when I was a kid and when I was a teenager it was something that I thought that I was never smart enough or good enough to to do and it wasn't a realistic option Mm. um and yeah I just I really believe that I wasn't good enough do you know why like why would you have felt that way so so there's this thing called your critical inner voice. So this is a a thought process that we all have. And what that is, is uh, we all have negative thoughts we have about ourselves that um, that maybe you're not good enough or you're not smart enough. You're, you're a joke. You know, you, you know, everyone else is better than you. You're a failure. All those sort of negative comments that are not realistic, but you start... You know, you hear them. We all we all get them, but some people have what we call a critical critical inner voice that's quite crippling to someone. Mm. It really is affecting them progressing through life. And for me, this is something that I've dealt with, and it's it it would have started from you know from childhood. Yeah, wow. Because I, I you know to be honest, I did have quite a rough childhood to say the least. But it um it it really yeah this critical inner voice was just a major part. What was stopping me from from pursuing things that I loved, whether it was career, education-based, or anything in life, all aspects like friendships, relationships, um, anything. So, yeah. So I never thought I was good enough. And in, in high school, I didn't do very well. Mm. I did do ATAR subjects in year 11 and 12, but I failed year 11 English and I failed some other subjects. And, and, I, and what I did 
not failing. I didn't do very well. So I got my ATAR score and it wasn't good enough to get into university. And this was all because there was stuff going on outside of university. I mean, school also, that was affecting this. But but I just didn't believe that I was smart enough. And mm. It was just such a such a strong belief that it was stopping me from actually putting effort in. So yeah. I had no motivation or, or will to, to do well. But after I got that score, sort of like that ATAR score, it wasn't good. And it made me realise, I, I, you know... I'm surely better than this. Like that, that, like this can't be the best I can do. So I ended up. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do as a career at this point. I had no clue. I liked IT. I liked drama, and I liked science. But that's a variety. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was trying to like figure out what I'm going to do. But in the meantime, I ended up doing a bridging course into Curtin. Yeah. Called Uni Ready, and it was a five week course. Um, and I did it with a couple friends from school. It was actually really good fun. Um, and it wasn't too difficult like it was it was really good and I got into computer science so I was like I do like IT so did computer science for for like a month did not like it at all (laughs) (laughs) not at all and I went I just I just had no interest in it yeah and I knew it I just knew it straight away within that month but everyone like my friends and family were saying just stick with it keep going Get that degree. Get, get through like the first year and hopefully the second year like mm-hmm. will be better because everyone says like the first year sometimes is a bit broad. The second year tends to be more specific and more interesting. But I just knew it wasn't for me. So I ended up, instead of studying for exams and whatever I had to do, I was um, researching every single career option and, and degree or trade or anything out there and making a list of the different areas like okay i like it i like science i like drama but drama i didn't feel like it was something that was too realistic to go into so i was like okay i like science so i eventually nailed it down to geology oh yeah because well i like volcanoes yes yes <laughs> so <laughs> you know and that was the motivation for me to get into geology so i changed the geology and from there that's when i started to really come to my own and start getting really good grades because I was I was really interested in, in the subject and it was it was just great people great teachers great everything and and yeah I my grades were really good everything was you know doing really well but I didn't know what I wanted to do after that after mm. the degree so then like I realized that geology people tend to go into mining yeah so all my friends that were in geology they were you know choosing to go into mining and I chose to go into mining so I did a couple I was lucky to get a couple of vacation work um, internships with a few companies, um, and they were really good. But I, it just didn't feel right, mm. so I didn't join. It just it didn't feel right to me. So I ended up talking to one of the I think she was she was a PhD student at the time, and she's my co-supervisor at the moment. Her name's, her name's Lucy, and I was talking to her about what she does, and she was studying asteroids and meteorites from outer space from yeah. the asteroid belt, and and. And it just sounds super cool. And I was like, I love space. <laughs> like, how awesome would it be if I could combine geology and space? Yeah. So I ended up talking to her and then her supervisor, Gretchen, and ended up doing an honours project after my degree with them, um, studying Martian meteorites. Oh, what a change to go from mining yeah. into Martian yeah. meteorites. Like, that's I pretty know. cool. It's very different. And when I was doing honours, like... I still didn't think I was good enough (laughs) or smart enough. It was something that was really setting me back. 
Um, and I was just umming and ahhing whether I wanted to go into mining or go continue on to a PhD. Mm. And again, it was like, go to mining, you're not good enough for a PhD, you know. But at, at one point, when I was doing my honours um, project, there was some significant things that were happening in my life that were quite negative. But it made me realise that life is too short to do something that you're not passionate about. And space is the most passionate thing that I have. Like, I absolutely love it. I could talk about it all day. And yeah, I was like, whether I'm good enough or not, I'm going to pursue a PhD in this. And and here I am now doing it. So oh. I'm about half a year in and uh, definitely the best decision I made. That's so good. And the difference that it can make, I think, once you move into something that you enjoy, hopefully some of that negative thoughts can be overtaken by enjoying it. Exactly, yeah. Um, it The negative thoughts are things that are affecting all aspects of my life. So not just the career, but it's more just... A, digging deep into why that is why why that is and then and the whole psychology to it so that's something that I like mental health is something that I put number one for me so I um I'm always working on into improving myself mentally and physically but but really mentally is a huge part of what I want to work on so I've definitely over the past couple years have really um gotten better with dealing with these um what what I call the critical inner voice Yeah. yeah for sure and I think it's something that a lot of people must experience during research because sometimes there's not an immediate reward in what you find out. No, yeah, it's a slow, it can be quite, yeah, you got to be patient. Yeah. <laughs> very patient. Do you think you've got the patience for it? Yeah, I do. I, I definitely do. What does a typical kind of day in the office, so to speak, look like for you? So at the moment... I'm only half a year into my yeah. PhD and a lot of that time was spent doing a lot of literature reviewing. Yeah. So reading, reading lots of papers, writing about them and I had to write up a literature review and a proposal for my project. Um, but that's all done. So at the moment it's, so I'm being trained on the equipment that I'll be using. Mm-hmm. So I'll be using um, electron microscopes. Very cool. Um, which is what I'm being trained on at the moment and different techniques that I'll be using. Um, and then so my main goal for my PhD or like what I'll be doing is I'll be doing isotopic dating okay. of minerals within these meteorites. So uranium lead dating and, and argon dating. Um, so I'll eventually be trained on, you know, the equipment used for that. And there's this cool equipment, uh, cool technology called atom probe tomography. What is that? So it's, um, it's, it's relatively new, especially in, in geoscience or mm. planetary science, but you can create three-dimensional maps of a rock, a really small section of a rock, and you can see each individual atom within the rock. Whoa. Um, not physically see it, but a little dot, and each dot is an atom, one atom, and you can understand the structural of how the, all these atoms are, are put together within this, in this um, sample. And also understand what the element or isotope is for each individual atom. So, like, these are small samples we're looking at. where They're, like, 50 to 100 micro, uh, so nanometers Whoa. in length, which is way, 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 way smaller than a strand of hair. Yeah. You can't even... It's, it's very hard to, to, to picture what, you know, how 
small this really is. But this this small little object has millions and millions of atoms, so we can we can understand its atomic structure by by doing that. So yeah, that's, that's so a major technique that I'll be using to date these rocks. Yeah. That's really cool. And do you have any kind of ballpark figure that you're trying to prove, or is it more that like we really don't know and you're finding out? So there's a certain group of Martian meteorites that I'm looking at called shergatites, and these rocks are highly shocked. And what that means is when this asteroid hit Mars, it must have been an absolutely huge asteroid for these rocks to have been ejected in the atmosphere. Yeah, okay. And this whole process causes the rocks to be subjected to huge amounts of pressures and temperatures, which causes these rocks to to form chemically, physically, and structure in so many ways. So these rocks are really deformed is Mm. what I mean by shocked. Um, And this has caused them... To, to when scientists have tried to date how old these are, it's uh, caused a lot of different variation of the ages that they found. So um, it's very controversial. So I'm trying to to date a very small group of these rocks um, to to see if we can help figure out this controversy. And also the end goal, not necessarily for my PhD, but the bigger goal is to find where these specific meteorites were formed on Mars exactly. Wow. So which crater ejected them. Um, and there's millions of craters on Mars. How are you going to figure it out? <laughs> i got to figure I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's going to be a very difficult thing. But um, there's a whole group of people um, doing different projects, honours projects, master's projects, PhD projects trying to f- understand and figure this one question out, where d- exactly on Mars did ma- these meteorites come from? That's so hopefully awesome. we can all work together and eventually figure it out. Yeah. It sounds like there's lots of different people working in different specialities within studying Mars. Yeah. So I, for some reason, I don't know, your picture studying something so far away is almost isolating, but is it nice having like a team to work on this joint oh, effort? Definitely. Um, the team environment at Curtin with the SSTC is um, is phenomenal. Everyone is just so lovely, so nice, so supporting, so caring, um, and so diverse at the same time. And, yeah, there's, there's people studying geology, planetary geology. There's people studying engineering, um, chemistry, physics, wow. um, computer science. Like, it's uh, so many different aspects of stem within planetary science so like yeah for anyone who's ever wanting to pursue it there's there's so many options that's so cool because you kind of picture you have to study physics you know yeah that's what i thought yeah i thought like astrophysics was like the way to go or astronomy but yeah so many options and and yeah only realizing that over the past couple years so i studied botany so i think we really need to hurry up and put some plants on mars (laughs) and i'll be needed well astrobiologists (laughs) Um, that's a thing oh yeah definitely so like for example the the rovers that are that are on mars or going to be sent to mars um the one that's going to be launched in a in a couple weeks yeah so um perseverance um these rovers are are like robotic geologists slash astrobiologists they're studying the geology and also the atmosphere of of Mars, but mm. also they're searching for life or signs of ancient fossilized life. Cool. So yeah, there's people who are astrobiologists who study yeah Mars and, and other planetary bodies too. 
which is just amazing and it's all for the search of of life whether whether there is life elsewhere in the universe say you're at a dinner party or maybe at a pub or i don't know anywhere out socially and someone says what do you do for a job how do you explain it and do you have to simplify it yeah so that's something that i'm i'm always like what do i say yeah. <laughs> because i don't really know so i tend not to say too much but i i, I say like i'm um I simplify it definitely, and I'll say I'm a I'm a planetary scientist maybe, and I'm a PhD student studying rocks from Mars. I think that's the easiest way. That's pretty good actually. Yeah. Do people think it's cool? Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Some people, because if I complicate it too much, then some people might not really understand what I'm talking about and yeah. get confused. Um, but for the most case, yeah, everyone's like pretty pretty amazed. Pretty about on it. board. Yeah. I like that a lot. This is. I don't know. It's a hard question to answer when you do already innately care about a topic. But why do you think people should care about this type of research? Well, space, you know, we we, we live our lives so sort of every everything we do, everything we've ever done, everything we ever will, well, not ever will do, but is is on the surface of this earth. And a lot of a lot of the time we forget that there's a whole universe out there to explore and it's it's just the unknown like that's what excites me about it it's studying the unknown um the universe is just ridiculously big you can't even like as humans i don't think we're even capable of understanding and comprehending how big it really is and yeah there's just so much to learn it's so exciting and i think um yeah just don't limit yourself with just studying things or doing things on earth there's a whole universe to explore. I like that a lot. So the Mars rovers, zooming around, getting data for us. Have we ever gotten things off Mars and brought it back to Earth that didn't come here on its own? No, but we want to. Ah, it'd be and so exciting. NASA has a plan for that. So, so yeah, that that's something that's so difficult to do, considering how far Mars is really from us. Yeah. But um, so the rover that's going to be launched in the next few weeks what whenever it will be mm. um perseverance it will land on mars in february next year hopefully it's a long time August, yeah about seven months ish um to get there and it will be studying the the so it's going to be landing at a crater called Yezero crater and that crater is evidence that that used to be a lake oh had water in it and there was a river that was flowing into that lake forming what's known as a delta so it's going to be studying the rocks there and specifically searching for signs of past life but it will also be taking in samples and storing it within the rover itself and nasa has a f- multiple mission plan over the next 10 or so years to retrieve those samples and bring it back but it's something that's so complicated um i can't remember exactly the plan but you know it, it requires multiple spacecrafts like four four or more yeah and over a 10 or more year period, which is and so like such a long time. So it's very risky cause, because there's so many different spacecraft, so many different missions, so many things can go wrong. But I think we will eventually one day. 
but it, it might be a little while off. Oh, it's going to be so exciting. I can imagine uh, everyone on your team will just be like, like watching, ready to go. Oh, like. yeah. And when those samples come back, like, yeah, I'm, I'm keen to look at them. Who will get them? How will it work? Well, they because it's a NAT, assuming that NASA is the one that do it, yeah. it, the samples would be theirs. Yeah. But I'm sure they would um, hand them out to scientists all over the world. Yeah. As um, little thin sections or... or a little party bag. Yeah, little exactly. Last party bag. <laughs> so, um, there's no doubt that my team will eventually look at them um, <sighs> at that point, assuming it does happen, which I really hope it does. That must be so surreal looking back to when you're like a little kid that now you are like on the wait list essentially for a Mars rock. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I'm studying Mars rocks. Like yeah. It's meteorites, but it's, um, yeah, uh, as in I wouldn't have believed it Yeah. back then. I wouldn't have believed it like a year, like two years ago. So <laughs> it's crazy. Oh, so good. Yeah. We are going to jump into some of our silly questions. Yeah, for it. <laughs> silly Wednesday afternoon questions that come from the rest of the Particle podcast team. To start off with, actually, this one's probably not even that silly, but I'm going to ask anyway. Are there differences between Mars volcanoes compared to Earth volcanoes? The biggest difference is their size. Mars volcanoes are huge. Oh. Um, so the biggest volcano in our solar system, known as Olympus Mons, is on Mars. And I can't remember exactly the size of it, but it's substantially bigger than Mount Everest. Whoa. Um, I think it's like, yeah, maybe two times or more. I don't remember exactly. And what does it like erupt with? Is it magma like we have on Earth? Yeah. So, so yeah, magma or uh, molten rock. Um, the composition is varying. It's a bit different to what we have on Earth, but but um, it's what we call basaltic type rocks usually. Okay. So what we see on volcanoes on Earth, they're, they're relatively similar in that sort of sense. Yeah. That's so cool. Do you think there are aliens out there? Yes, one hundred percent, no Me doubt. <laughs> so just considering how enormous the universe is. Like, I think it's a bit ignorant to, to think that we are the only ones here. And whether, you know, aliens, but by we mean like microbial life out there or actual intelligent civilizations, there has to be something else out there. And personally, I think there are endless amount of, of life out there and endless amount of in- intellectual beings out there. So it, whether we ever find that out is up to debate, but yeah. It's a bit sad to think we could like even imagining us being the only people, the only yeah like, the uh, the only living yeah in the whole universe. That'd be just to be sad. Why why would we be the only ones yeah. here? Yeah, we're not that special. <laughs> yeah, well, in the grand scheme of things, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you think that life will look like what we have here on Earth? Elsewhere, yeah, most probably not. Mm. Just you know, Earth with you know. With our solar system, how close we are to, the, to our star, um, the sun, um, the size of the earth, the composition of the earth. And then in terms of, you know, obviously, we don't really know how life started on earth. There are theories, but we don't have a have a, an exact idea. But we do have an idea of how a, a life evolved over time. And that evolution, you know, things could have been slightly different on earth and we wouldn't might not even exist or yeah. we would look completely different. Yeah. So... Yeah, what if there's evolution going on on other planets out there? It's it's there's so many factors that are involved to to form whatever life it may be. 
What's better, a Milky Way or a Mars bar? Oh, I love them both. <laughs> but I'd say Mars bar. Yes, not yeah. biased at all. The Mars Rovers. Uh, I can't remember which ones are still on Mars. Yeah, so we've um, Curiosity, yeah, which launched, I think, in 2012 or somewhere around then. That's still going. Yeah. Going strong. Um, before that, there was Spirit and Opportunity. Yes. And there were twin rovers. And I think it was Opportunity that that died in 2018. Yes. Um, they lasted, they both lasted a long time, actually, a, a lot long longer time. than they were supposed to. But op- I'm pretty sure it was Opportunity that lasted a ridiculous amount of time. Um, but they, unfortunately, have passed away. Do you but celebrate Curiosity's birthday? No. <laughs> Maybe you should. But I should, yes. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever licked a Mars rock? No. Oh. So, I've licked rocks before. Yeah, geologists. I, that's why I asked. <laughs> um, but if you ever lick a meteorite or if, like... There's way too much contamination in your on your on your tongue. So yeah. Also, could it make you like sick? Probably not. Oh. But in terms of the science, you're going to be contaminating the rock. So yeah. Okay. So definitely do never do not ever leak a. You get in rock. big trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Would you ever go to live on Mars? Oh, that's a good question. So like, I'd say my ultimate dream would be to be an astronaut. Um, that was a dream of that as a kid and I still still do and who doesn't, but, um, to go to Mars, I think I would, um, it would really depend on my living on, on like whether I have a family at the time, but let's say I don't, then yeah, definitely. (laughs) If I were to be able to go to Mars right now and I definitely would. It would be, yeah. yeah, it'd be hard to not take the opportunity. It's like... You know, there's a chance that you might not come back. Yeah. There's a chance you might not even make it there. Yeah. Um, but it's totally worth it, in my opinion. So, yeah, I would. Is Perth a good place to be studying? Definitely. Oh, good. Um, especially in planetary science. Yeah, so okay. So, Curtin has the SSDC. It has the largest planetary science department in the Southern Hemisphere. Wow. So most of the research out of Australia and, as I said, the Southern Hemisphere comes out of Curtin. Um, and UWA also has some good researchers there too. So, yeah, in terms of um, science-related fields, Perth is a really good place. That's it's great. Good. Yeah. It's very encouraging. Yeah. How do you find – how do you define kind of – or how will you define successes in your PhD because sometimes you know like there's some of this stuff is going to be contributing to a much larger study you might not even get to make particular discoveries um so how do you define little little successes so I'm, I'm definitely a sort of person that thinks to celebrate the small victories in whatever in life just in everything you have to be so patient in, in any field of science so it's uh yeah, really just celebrating the small victories yeah. and, and, and just knowing that what you're doing, what I'm doing is contributing to something that's so much bigger than this and hopefully one day that will contribute to to um, to just, yeah, understanding Mars just a lot better. So Yeah, and feel like you made little little contribution. Yeah, exactly. Um, little contributions and, and, and like I might not always stick with Martian geology. I yeah. don't really know what I'm going to do after the PhD, to be honest. But whatever happens is I I definitely want to pursue a career in space. That's for sure. 
We've talked a little bit about mental health and the importance of, you know, looking after your brain so you can do the science and, you know, do everything to the best that you can. Are there any kind of tips that you recommend to people to look after their mental health? Yeah, mental health is a is a complicated topic. Um, I feel like a lot of people find it to be a daunting topic, something that they don't really want to deal with because it's, it's, it's scary in a way. But I think finding a support group, whether it's family, friends, whether it's seeing a therapist, a psychologist or, or a counsellor and just talking things out like can really, really help. Like don't don't bottle up emotions and, and bottle up thoughts because that's just going to make things worse. So, so talk it out with whoever you can. And I'd, I'd recommend seeing a professional, in my opinion, just yeah. because they have a lot of knowledge, whether it's education but also their own experience. And... And yeah, just learning about how your mind in particular works and how to deal with whatever stresses in life that comes to you is a, is a big part on success in your life. If you don't deal with, with these issues, it's just going to set you back and you're never going to do the best you can do. Hello, editing Rose here, popping into your ears just for a moment. After recording, Ravi sent me a voice message with some extra thoughts he had regarding mental health. So here he is now. So there's one last thing I wanted to add in in regards to those negative thoughts about yourselves that I was talking about earlier on. So thoughts like you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're a failure, everyone else around you is better than you, you know, you're not attractive enough and whatever other thoughts there are about yourselves for people who are experiencing these things in all aspects of life whether it be career or personal um, aspects of their life I'd my advice would be to start becoming more aware of these thoughts because a lot of the time these thoughts are actually subconscious so not in all cases sometimes we are aware of them but in most cases they're subconscious So when you fall into a bad mood, like you're feeling depressed or you're feeling anxious or angry or some sort of negative mood, try and think, what thoughts have I thought of that have caused me to feel this way? And all of those times, it is the critical inner voice that's taking over in your brain. So becoming more aware of those thoughts will help you realize that those thoughts are actually irrational and uh, not true at all. And the truth is, is that, that you are smart enough, you are good enough, you are capable, you are awesome, you are brilliant, you are amazing. And as soon as you start believing that, actually believing that about yourself, you will be able to succeed in anything at life. And to finish up with... I'm pretty sure I asked you to bring one along. Yes. A fun fact. Yeah. I've got it in my pocket. <laughs> <It's>, um, <laughs> That's good. All right. Your fun right. fact, please. So my fun fact, it's a little bit long, but it's just, okay, I'll just say it. So Proxima Centauri is a star and it's the closest star to our sun. And this star is 40.2 trillion kilometers away from us. That's crazy. So 40.2 trillion kilometers is about 4.2 light years away. So that means is that um, it would take four and a half, four point two years to travel there if we were traveling at the speed of light, and the speed of light is about one point oh eight billion kilometers an hour, which is just insane. So to put that into perspective, Voyager One 
which is the which is a spacecraft that's um, the furthest spacecraft from Earth at the moment, and it's sitting in interstellar space. That spacecraft travels at a speed of over sixty thousand kilometers an hour. So what that is is seventeen kilometers per second. Oh my god! <laughs> if that spacecraft was traveling in the correct direction yes. towards Proxima Centauri, it would take over seventy three thousand <sighs> years to get there. To put that into even more perspective, if we were traveling in a car, it's a normal car, somehow, <laughs> in space, yeah. um, at a constant speed of about 100 kilometers an hour, it would take over 40 million years to get there. Oh, no. And that was just our closest star. Wow. And in our own galaxy, we have billions, hundreds of billions of stars in just our own galaxy. And then in the observable universe, there's estimated to be over trillions of galaxies in the observable universe and then who knows what's beyond the observable universe so the universe is huge is what i'm trying to say no kidding and it's just how can you understand how big it really is i yeah. love that it's actually it's made me want to study space now <laughs> yeah <laughs> throw everything out the window <laughs> yeah it's amazing thank you so so much for joining us on the podcast today yeah thank you for having me it's it's i've never done anything like this before so it's um exciting Thank you for listening to the Particle Podcast. You can find more of our content on all of the socials as well as at particle.scitech.org.au. Particle is powered by SciTech and everything we make is made in the wonderful science hub that is Western Australia.